We are going to be in Luke chapter 7. If you want to go ahead and, and turn there, flip there, get there somehow, we'll be in Luke chapter 7. want to say a big welcome again to everybody that's here, everybody that's watching on the video. Come on, how many of how you been enjoying the videos, watching the services already? It's, it's cool. Our, our desire is hopefully within this year, we'll actually be live streaming our services. So if you missed it, if you can't be here for some reason, you're on vacation, you can watch the service live, which would be awesome. So that's our goal in this coming year. You can be praying that we can get that kicked off and started. But uh, Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be tonight. feel like I have a word for our house and a word for you. And, and uh, come on, how many of you know more than anything, we need to hear God tonight more than you hear Pastor Josh. You need to hear, you need to hear his voice. And so... Uh, so we want to tune in to his, his voice tonight. And so Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be, and, and uh, we'll, we'll read it together. I'll, I'll actually, I'll just read it on the screen with you guys, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll go from here. So Luke chapter 7, the title of today's message is called, When No Words Are Needed. When No Words Are Needed. If you got your note cards with me, just flash them at me so I can see them. All right, good. All right. This one's a, this one's a light note taker, by the way. This one's not a light message. You only got two Two points today, uh, so that means I'll just get my preach on a lot more, and so I won't be teaching as much. Oh, don't don't spur me on. It's coming. Luke chapter seven, verse thirty-six. It says one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Speaking of Jesus, and uh, Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table. And the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, that's, that's a big place, we'll come back to that in a minute, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who... And what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, just so you know, uh, the idea of 500 denarii is about a year and a half's worth of wages. So... Take your job, a year and a half worth of your salary. And so he's saying one person owes a year and a half worth of salary. The other person owes 50, which is about a month and a half of salary. And he says, this guy has two guys. They both have debts. And he cancels both, both of them. When they could not pay, verse 42, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Verse 44, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, now watch this, turning towards the who? The woman, he said to who? Simon. Simon. Okay, so he, he's turning towards the woman, but he's, he's not actually talking to the woman. He's talking to Simon, and this is what he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she was, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and And you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
And, uh, she has not ceased to kiss my feet, and you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are what? What's that word? Many. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Dear Jesus, we just ask one more time, and this time, open up our ears to hear from you today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think church should be enjoyed, not endured. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. And so I encourage you to encourage you to respond in the message. We'll make this message a lot better. You know, I've learned the art of communication uh, from... There's no other person I've learned the art of communication better than from my wife, Lindsay. Uh, I have learned so much about the art of communication from her. Uh, for all of those that have been here in the relationship series, we've talked a lot about that. <laughs> In, uh, in different seasons of, uh, of our marriage, learning how to, how to communicate. And my wife loves to talk usually about midnight or um, right about two minutes before the football game's over. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, you know, two-minute warning. It's tied games, the playoff. And she comes sit down on the couch and says, hey, we need to talk. And I'm like, are you serious right now? We need to talk right now? Yeah, I just need to share my heart. You know, we need to be connected here. I need to share it with you. Are you serious? I mean, the football game's on. Are we, we doing this right now? Yes, we need to be one, as one. I mean, I need your eyes. I need your ears. I need you, I need you with me. I need us to be interlocked, interwoven. No, no, we ain't. Okay, well, interwoven, we can do that. I mean, so anyway, no, never mind. Stick to, the, stick to the script here. And so, so of course... Of course, it, 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 she, it, it's always at a different time, but, but my wife loves to talk. God bless her. And, uh, and I've learned a lot about communication, learning how to talk to her and, and, and learning how to listen. Um, but where I've learned more in the art of communication uh, from her is not so much in words, but learning to communicate without words. How many mamas in here know you can communicate really well without words? Okay, so, okay, we got three little munchkins. They're right here on the front row uh, with us, 11, 8, and 6. And so our house is a bit crazy. Lindsay homeschools all our boys, and it's just kind of a wild, wild house. And you've heard us talk about that before. And, and so, you know, she's with them day in and day out. I'm really not home that much. And so when I do come home at night, I mean, I'm, I'm coming home with the idea of, hey, I'm going to just put my foot down. Hey, listen, just remind you who pays the bills around here. Okay, listen. <laughs> Okay, so I, I, you know, when the boys are going a little crazy, when they're going a little crazy, I, I mean, I, it's really short. It's like, hey, over there, you there, you stop that, get off of him, quit that, pick that up. I'll take my belt off, don't you want? Okay, I will whip you. Don't call the police because they'll take me, but I'll, okay. Because you know you can't whip kids anymore nowadays. Uh, but that's kind of how I do, you know, and when things are going crazy, dad just kind of goes into, hey, get this, fix this, let's get out of the way, let's stop this. Moms are totally different though, Okay. Men, we raise our voice and we put things in order. We let them know who is authority. But I'm going to tell you, a mom, a wife, they don't need words. They literally just go, hey! <laughs> and, and every boy knows what that look is. They all stop. I stop. I think I'm in timeout too. <laughs> I mean, we're all sitting on the couch like, I don't know. I think I pay the bills here, but I'm, I don't know if I can get out. I mean, we all in time out here. I mean, 
She has the ability to communicate. How many, how many, how many husbands in here have seen the face? You know what the face is, right? Yeah, I was laughing earlier because just some, we were out in the hallway just a minute ago and one of the guys was with me. <laughs> Lindsay goes, hey, where's the boys? And I was like, I don't know. And she's like, and I was like, and he's like, I saw that. I said, yeah, I see that all the time. That's not. And then I told him I'm going to preach about it actually in just a minute. So, uh, so all the wives, we know you got the face, all the moms, you got the face, you know, you just, it's just like the death stare. I mean, if you're here in church and your kids are sitting down the row, all you got to do is just look. And they're like, that's, I'm on death row now. I am on death row. I'm dying here. Because we can learn that just like in relationships, sometimes you can communicate things without words. The same thing is actually true spiritually. There's, there's actually a, a spiritual component in Luke chapter 7, where we kind of see this same thing, where communication happens, but without any words. And uh, there's a spiritual component that happens in Luke chapter 7. And you see this with the, with the woman of the city that walks into this situation with Jesus. And she does not say anything. You hear nothing from her. Uh, she does something, but she doesn't say anything. And there's, a, there's a, a, an actual moment of transformation that takes place, but there was really no words that are communicated. And, and so I, I'm here to tell you today that uh, you don't always have to tell everything you did wrong. You don't have to wait until you're forgiven. You don't have to always have to share it all out there all the time. I mean, sometimes God can do something in your life when he just knows what's going on between you and him. And there's an opportunity, of course, in healing when we share those things with people. But I think religion wants us to always talk about our hurts and always talk about our pains. And the truth is God already knows what they are. And in this situation, this woman walks into this scenario in this house and, and, and Jesus already knew what, what was going down. And so we see this idea of, 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 of grace meeting her in this point. Now, I, w- I want to catch up with this story and start kind of from the beginning, kind of work our way through it. Uh, I want you to turn to 736, uh, Luke 736, the beginning of this story. And I, I want to just read just a little bit of the beginning and maybe set up a little bit of the characters that we see kind of in this movie playing out. So it says in Luke 736, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So one of the Pharisees. Uh, asked Jesus, hey, would you come, come eat with me? And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So the first characters that we see kind of in this scene play out is the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious elite of that day and age. They were the, the pastors and the spiritual leaders. And, and, and really, the Pharisees used fear and intimidation to push people around to get what they wanted. They were really good at, at bringing shame on people and causing people to... The only way that you can get to God is you got to come through me. And so they lorded themselves over people. And here we have the Pharisees in this story, and they invite Jesus into... A dinner with them. And it's really rare because, see, in the Old Testament, there was 400 years of silence, but there was all these prophecies in the Old Testament that spoke of this Messiah that would be coming one day. And this Messiah was going to turn everything upside down. And this Messiah was going to be the Savior. And, and the Pharisees always believed that the Messiah was going to be something a little bit different than Jesus was. They, they knew that Jesus probably was this prophesied Messiah, but Jesus just did everything differently than they thought he would actually do. You know, they thought that the Messiah that was coming was going to be coming on a white, house, a white horse with a, you know, a golden saddle and a, and a, and a you know, a, a crown on his head and like taking names, you know, kind of like a, 
I mean, that's, that's what they thought he was going to be doing. But of course, Jesus didn't come like that. Jesus was totally different than everybody else. Jesus came not on a stallion. Jesus came in a stable. Jesus came as a baby. Jesus was a humble little boy. He was actually grown up in a, a more of a poor area. They thought he was going to be born in a palace and he was born in a stable. They thought that he was going to be one who was with all of the elite super spiritual guys. And Jesus never liked to hang out with super spiritual guys. He actually liked to hang out with all the outsiders. All the insiders thought that the Messiah would hang out with them. But sure enough, the Messiah was always hanging out with the outsiders. He was a friend to the poor. He was always defending those who couldn't defend themselves. He was just different in every way than they imagined. And so here they are inviting Jesus into their house. And you got to imagine for Jesus, this is a little bit of Jesus's comfort zone because Jesus is actually more comfortable with outsiders than he is with these guys. And so they invite Jesus over into their house and, and, uh, he's just a little bit different. And, and let, let me put it this way. If everybody in your circle of influence that you have is saved, your circle is too small. You should have people around you that don't know Jesus. And all these Pharisees, they only hung out with Pharisees. Their circle is way too small. And so they invite Jesus into this. And Jesus is invited into this dinner, hanging out with these religious guys. And I'm sure for him, it was not really a normal thing. He didn't really care to really be there too often. He loved them, but he really didn't care to be with them. I mean, if, if Jesus probably had a phone, he'd probably be sitting at dinner texting his friends going, O-M me, you know. <laughs> get. <laughs> you'll, you'll get it. Oh. You'll get that in a minute. Any of y'all ever been to a place where it's just kind of awkward? It's just a little different. Maybe you've been invited to somebody's house and it's just kind of awkward. You're at a place that's a little bit awkward. You know, when, uh, when Joel was in the hospital in New Orleans, Lindsay and I, uh, we were been in the hospital in the ICU room for a couple of weeks and it was just kind of crazy and a lot of intensity going on, a lot of emotions. And, uh, we had a really good friend of ours that lived in new Orleans and said, Hey, I'm going to come and stay at the hospital in the ICU with Joel. So you and Lindsay can just get away for the night and go enjoy dinner. And so he said, I booked you a place, a restaurant that I want you and Lindsay to go to. And so I said, well, where's the restaurant? He said, commander's palace. And I said, Ooh, that sounds fancy. Is that like, what is that? I don't even know what it is. So I had to go look it up and find out what it is. And it's like fine dining. And, uh, and so we get there and, uh, and I'm not fine dining type of guy. <laughs> I'm like pizza hut, you know, <laughs> Buffalo wild wings. And so shut your mouth. And so, um, and so, and so Lindsay and I get there. I'm just kidding. I don't say that to people, uh, just people I know. And so. I, uh, and so we get there and it, we're already kind of, it's kind of already an awkward situation. And, you know, you kind of all got the ritzy people and they're like drinking their cups like this. And, you know, they're all sitting at their little table, probably talking about like stock and trade and stuff. And, and we're just like in all the emotions and everything. So we sit down and of course they sit us down and we sit down and the guy takes a napkin. He's like, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I can take care of my own napkin. I'm good here, bro. Don't touch me. And so. And so the waitress, the waitress comes up to us and says, you know, what would you like to drink? And so, and so sure enough, I just order what I always order. I was like, y'all got Dr. Pepper? And she was like, <laughs> kind of like with a smirk, like, <laughs> you remember this, babe? Mm, no, we don't have Dr. Pepper. As I'm seeing all these people with like fine wine glasses over there, I was like, I'll take water. And so, 
And so we're sitting there, and of course, it's just awkward. It's just awkward. It's one of those kind of awkward things, and, and they come and they bring the food to you. And like, they, if you've ever been to those places, they don't just like slide the food to you. Like, they have three waiters or come around, and they all put their plates down at the same time. It's just really weird. And so, really weird. I like, I'm used to a buffet, like, go get my own. Anyways. So I, I say all that to say, I think that's kind of what Jesus feels like here. He's kind of like the outside guy. He's in with all these religious guys and kind of the outside guy of what's going on. And, uh, and so they're, they're, having, they're having their little dinner and, and, uh, and they have an interruption. And so I want, I want to catch up with the story here. So Luke seven thirty seven says this. So here's the interruption. So they're sitting down having, having dinner. And it says, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... That's a, that is a uh, that is a term that's used actually for a prostitute, by the way, a woman of the city. Okay, meaning she she had her way around town. She was a woman of the city who was a sinner, and, and when she learned, and this is big, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing standing behind him. We'll get to that in a minute. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment, uh, the ointment, sorry. And now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, (laughs) he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. How many of you have ever invited someone over to your house for dinner? Raise your hand. You ever invited, you have a guest over at your house? Let me ask you this. So have any of y'all ever invited somebody over to your house for dinner? You got a special guest, kind of a guest of honor, maybe a family or something. You invite them over, you're sitting at dinner and some stranger that you don't know budge up in your house and comes over not only to your house, inside of your house, but comes to your table and then sits behind your guest of honor and then goes, you know what, that's not enough. And then she's like down under the table, like crying. And you're like, I'm sorry, this, I don't know what's going on here. I mean, has that any happened to any of y'all? I mean, do you just sit there and be like, I, well, I guess we just sit here and wait. I don't know. I mean, that's what's happening here. I mean, some, some strangers walking up in there. Undoubtedly, they know a little bit of who this woman is. And she's coming in. She's crying tears and wiping feet. And it's all kind of a weird situation. And, of course, you know, we probably wouldn't be that way. We'd be like, oh, my God, get this crazy woman out of my house right now, okay? Get her out. Escort her out. But, of course, we see the, reflect, uh, the reaction of these guys because they say this. They said, if he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who's touching, for she is a sinner. Sinner alert. Sinner alert. Sinner. Sinner here under the table. That's yeah, that, that girl, she's the sinner. Okay? She's a sinner. And oftentimes, I think we, when we look at church and we look at a lot of churches, and I, I really don't feel like that's what happens here, and I hope it really doesn't, but uh, we, we kind of have the center alert thing that goes off in our head when we see somebody like, oh, they are step foot in the church. What's going on here? I mean, do you know who that is? I mean, they smell like smoke. I mean, they smell like alcohol. They smell like reefer. I mean, what's going on here? But here's what I've learned more than anything. Religious people can identify other people's sins better than they can identify their own. Religious people have an ability to identify sinner, 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 and yet not be able to see the sin in their own heart, in their own lives. And that's what these religious guys did. And so they're, they're kind of like, if this man were a prophet, <laughs> if, he, if he were a prophet, he would know. 
what kind of woman this is. And if he knew what kind of woman this is, he wouldn't be letting her touch him down there. And the truth is, if they knew what type of man Jesus was, they would know exactly why he let those kind of people touch him. Because if you look all throughout the scriptures, Jesus, Jesus always touched the people that nobody else wanted to touch. So all the lepers that they said, stay away from Jesus, is like, come here, come on over. Let me see what you got there. And sure enough, he's holding the hands and they're healing. Y'all seen that? It's the story of the the woman that has the issue of blood for over 12 years. And and what does she do? She touches Jesus. And Jesus is in a crowd of people. And Jesus goes, who touched me? And the disciples are like, oh, there's a lot of people around here. Everybody's touching you. And he's going, no, no, no. This touch is a totally different kind of touch because this is a type of touch that's transforming somebody's life. And Jesus knows that when we touch him, if we, if we touch him, there's something that can come off of him that can come onto us that heals us. And these Pharisees didn't know that, that one touch with him could change everything for this woman. And this is what this church is all about. It's about us getting to a place where we can touch God. Church is not, we say this all the time, church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for broken, sinful people. Amen? Amen? Come on, is anybody in here grateful that you can come to Jesus as you are? Is anybody in here grateful that you don't have to clean yourself up? Come on now. The problem is most people in church don't feel like they're allowed to come as they are. That's really the truth. People don't feel comfortable to come as I am. When they hear it, they hear the slogans of it, just come as you are. I was talking to somebody in the foyer just a minute ago, and they said, you know, I've been inviting somebody to come. And they asked me, what do I have to wear? I'm thinking, what? Yeah, just clothes. That's all I need. Just any clothes. (laughs) But that's what people are thinking. What do I have to wear? And what are they going to think of me? And I had somebody tell me last week, man, I came, I drove up. I was 10 minutes late, and I turned around and went back home. I said, why? He said, because I thought when I'd get there, people would look at me for being late. I'm like, you're in the, it's like pitch black. Nobody sees you. Just come on in. Why? Because it's this idea that as churches, we know how to kind of play Halloween church. Where we come to church and we put on the mask and we make it seem like everything's okay. And we say like spiritual words, you know, when somebody asks us a normal question, like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Are you sure? Are you, sh- are you sure you're blessed? Because you look constipated. That's what you look. Saying, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You need some Metamucil. That's what you need. We need to be a church. Come on, listen to me. We need to be a church that opens our doors, opens our arms, arms, opens our homes, opens our lives to people that are broken and hurting and say, come on in, come on in, come on in, come on in, that we would be honest enough with other people and allow people to be honest with us with where they are. Man, you catch me on a bad day and you, hey, how you doing? Man, not so good. My back's hurting. My wife don't like me. I want to lock my kids in the, in the car. I want to, I mean... Come on. I mean, anybody feel like that sometimes? Okay. Get out of here if you don't. All right. I mean, that's just the truth. But yet we come in here and oftentimes play the game and act like everything's okay. When the truth is your marriage is a wreck. Things at your work are not good. 
Come on, this is the only thing that should common us, that should be the common denominator for all of us is that we gather in church because we're all broken in need of Jesus. And so that is the, this woman here. The problem with the church, and I'm not saying this is even our church, but just the church as a whole is that oftentimes we don't want to roll up our sleeves and show our own scars, show our own flaws. You know, Revelation says that we overcome the enemy by the, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Come on, some people need to hear that at one time you didn't know all the words on the screen. Some people in here need to, need to hear at one time you didn't lift your hands. At one time you weren't on the dream team and leading all this stuff. At one time you walked in just barely getting by and you got in here and Jesus changed your life and now you're totally new. But that's where you once were. But oftentimes we get into church and then we get churched and then we get with the churchy language and then we can't relate to people who are broken. And then everybody who's broken comes in here and thinks they're the only ones. So we need to be a church that says, hey, you struggle with stuff. Me, too. You struggle with doubt. Me, too. You struggle with fear. Me, too. You struggle with worry. Me, too. Welcome to the road that struggles. This is where we are. And this is what we see in this time. We need to be a church that every time we messed up, that the blood of Jesus was there. Every time we fell, the mercy of Jesus was there. Every time we sinned, the grace of Jesus was there. The forgiveness of Jesus was there. We are a people that even though we fall, we get back up again and we keep on walking. We keep on walking. Now, here's the question that I want to pose. What would a, a first century prostitute How would she have the guts to walk into a religious guy's house that has the son of God eating dinner there? Okay. Because I think she's been there before. Come on, talk about real housewives of Jerusalem, baby. Woo! Listen, Real Housewives, they got nothing on the Bible. I'm telling you right now. So let me, let me give you a, a, couple, a couple fill-ins here if you want to take some notes with me. I, just, I only have two, but I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you both of them. They're real, real simple. How many of you in here want to love Jesus more? Raise your hand. You want to be more passionate for Jesus? Okay, great. Awesome. I'm in the right church. If you want to love Jesus more, there's something about this passionate prostitute that we can learn from. We don't, relearn, we don't learn from the religious Pharisee guy. We learn something from this passionate prostitute. And here's two things that we can learn. Here's your first one. Those who love Jesus the most are those who are aware of their sin the most. Those who love Jesus the most are those who are, most, those, those who are aware of their sin the most. Notice when she walks into the room, the first place that she goes to stand, where is it? Behind Jesus. She doesn't go pull up a seat at the table. She goes and she stands behind Jesus, representing shame. Because how many of you know when you go into a religious place, the first thing you're going to feel is shame? That's just how it is. If you go into a religious church, the first thing you're going to feel when you walk in is, I'm not good enough. You're going to feel like, I can't do this. There's shame that comes with that. And this story here does not deal with the amount of sin in a person's life. It deals with the awareness of sin. See, for this woman, she knew that the bigger the debt, the more love for the debt reliever. 
She had the big debt. But the truth is, so did all the other guys around the table too. They just didn't know it. Or at least they didn't acknowledge it. There was a Sunday school teacher that had just concluded her lesson and wanted to make sure that she had made her point. So she says, hey, can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness for sin? There was a short pause. And then from the back of the room, a small boy spoke up, sin. (laughs) That's the only thing that you got to do in order to receive forgiveness. You just got to blow it. God offers forgiveness there. See, everyone's been forgiven much, but not everyone acknowledges it. Everyone in this room has been forgiven much, but not everybody acknowledges that you've been forgiven much. Just like these guys at this table. See, this passage doesn't teach us that there are some who are worse than others. That's not what this passage teaches us. There's the prostitute who's really bad and there's the Pharisees who are really good. That's not what this passage is teaching us. This passage is teaching us that there are some who think that they're better than others. That's what this passage is teaching us. That there's some people who just think they're better than other people. See, grace is often often hindered not because we think we're too bad, but because we think we're too good. That's when grace is hindered in our lives. Not because we think we're too bad and undeserving, which sometimes that's the case as well. But most of the times grace is hindered in our lives because we just think we're, we're not that bad and we really don't need it. And that is the situation that's playing out in here. Write this down. Forgiveness is never free. Forgiveness is never free. Anytime somebody forgives a debt, they incur that debt themselves. So if I was to loan you $1,000 and you wanted to pay me back and I said, you know what? Don't worry about it. All good. Somebody had to pay for that debt. I did. You got it taken away from you. You didn't have to pay for it, but I did. And so never let us forget that freedom is not free. Forgiveness is not free. Somebody paid for it for you. You just didn't have to. And his name is Jesus. And he paid for it for you. And that's what he did. And that's the story of this. That he begins to share this story of two people that owed debts. Both of them owed debts. One was more, one was less. But both of them were taken care of. The truth is, sin is the most expensive thing in the universe. And it cost God his only son. Your sin and my sin, what has separated us from God, cost so much. So the freedom that you have in Christ... Christ paid for it. You didn't pay for it, but he did. May we not take that for granted, that everything that that we have in our life is because of God. And the greatest thing that we see in this story is those who love God the most are those who are aware of their sin the most. Meaning this, meaning this, all the guys that were sitting around that table, all of them had sinned. We know that for sure. All of them had sinned, but there was only one person in that room that was bold enough to acknowledge, yes, I am a sinner. Everybody else sat behind there and said, she's a sinner. She's the sinner. She's the sinner. And sure enough, guess where grace goes to, to her only doesn't go to the other men because we've got to be aware of our own sin. Because when you're aware of your sin, you're also aware of your forgiveness. Come on, y'all with me here? You want to fall in love with Jesus more? Just remind yourself of where you used to be. 
and realize where God brought you out of that miry clay and set your feet on a rock and he cleaned you up. And that was all because of Jesus, not because of you. And so those who love Jesus the most are those who are aware of their sin the most. And here's number two. Those who love Jesus the most are those who recognize they need Jesus the most. They need Jesus the most. So here's my question. How did she know Jesus was going to be at Simon's house in the first place? You want to know what I think? This is just what I think happened. What I think happened was I'm sure one day she was uh, maybe out in the street. Because you got to realize, this is for, before Facebook and Twitter. There's no text message to Jesus at Simon's. Go, go, go. And there's none of that. None of that. And so, and, and, and then the other thing is she didn't hang with Pharisees. She only hung out with people that were like her, so other prostitutes. And so how does she know that he's at a Pharisee's house? How does that, how does that actually happen? Uh, I think what happened is she was walking down the street, and I think she sees a girlfriend maybe that she ran the streets with. And they had a conversation, and it probably went a little something like this. She's walking down the street kind of with her head held, held low, and, and her girlfriend comes up to her. Hey, girl, what's going on? How you doing? Oh, I'm so depressed. I'm sick and tired of this life. I can't do this anymore. And, and the girlfriend says, girl, listen to me. i got to tell you about something. Listen, listen. A couple weeks ago, I was going out to go get some water. And as I was going out and getting some water, I went to go get some water and I got, I met this guy. And so I was thinking, Hey man, I'm maybe hit up on this guy. I mean, there's a guy, maybe I can do a little proposition here. And and sure enough, the guy turns on me and begins to ask me questions. And he begins to tell me about my life. This guy begins to tell me about all the husbands that I had. And this guy begins to tell me about, about how there's a God that actually forgives me. And there's a God that loves me. And there's a God that can change me. And that, and that he, he began to really care for me. And then, and then God began to be there in that midst. And he prayed for me. And I'm telling you, he began to read my mail. And my, my life was never the same. And so here I am, a different person. I don't do that stuff anymore. And I'm sure the girl was like, who is this guy? And where is he? And she's like, I, listen, 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 I, I, I've heard word on the grapevine is that, he, that, he's, that he's at Simon's house. You know, that nasty one, that nasty Pharisee. Yeah, he's at that guy's house. Okay. And he's there. What's his name? Jesus. Anybody remember the woman at the well? I think there's that woman. Because she was a prostitute too. And I think she went back to all of her prostitute friends and said, listen, girls, I found the best guy ever. <laughs> Changed my life. And sure enough, when she, the original prostitute talks to her friend, I think her friend told her where exactly he was. Because it says that when she learned where he was, because here's the truth, word gets out about Jesus a lot faster than we care to, to think. And, you know, Jesus is getting into the worst places that some of us in the church don't want to go. It's there because there's power in stories. There's power in changed lives. There's power in your story and in your changed life. And I think for her, she saw the, the power of the changed life of her friend. And she says, whatever it is that you got, I want it. And so she finds out he's at Simon's house and she goes and grabs her alabaster flask and literally takes off to where she is, throws the door open and just goes straight to him. Because yet again, those who love Jesus the most are those who recognize they need Jesus the most. 
And so she realizes, I just got to get to Jesus. Because if he can do that to my friend, he can do it to me. And if he can change her, he can change me. And I believe that she was extremely passionate because she goes in and she pours out her alabaster flask, which was usually a year's worth of salary. So this is year's worth of her. Who knows how she went about getting this? Who knows if this was the alabaster flask that after every time she would be with a man that maybe she would douse herself with the pregnancy, to, or the pregnancy, the, with the, that's another, that's another story. That's probably, it's another book. Douse herself with the fragrance to try to drench out some of the stench of what she just participated in. I think the flask and the ointment was pouring that out on Jesus as she's crying. She's, the Bible says she's crying so much. She's crying so much at Jesus' feet that her feet are, that his feet are soaking wet. She doesn't have a towel, so she takes her hair, which the Bible says for a woman is her glory. In a sense, representing that, hey, you are the only one that's glorious. And I'm going to take my glory and I'm going to wipe your feet. And she pours her ointment on his feet, almost in a symbolic, like everything that I've tried to do for my life hasn't worked. And so I'm just going to give it all to you. And sure enough, as she is crying, these guys are judging. How dare she? If he only knew who's touching him. And she's just crying. And as she's crying and Wiping his feet, Jesus turns to her because Jesus always turns to the broken and he always rebukes the religious. And so he turns to her and then says, Simon, I got something to tell you. And he says, tell me like he's all high and mighty. And then he begins to share the story of the two debtors. Almost in a sense saying, listen, you don't even get this. See, you think it's about somebody that's got a lot of sin and someone's got a little sin. It's not about that. It's about someone who's aware that they are a sinner in need of Jesus and in need of grace. And here she is. And as she's crying and pouring out her heart and Jesus is sharing this story, here's the really cool thing that's happening. She is being healed. She's been forgiven. She's being saved. And she's not even saying a word. Almost as if she's just passionately worshiping Jesus. And as she's worshiping Jesus, Jesus is just healing her. Because the end of verse 48 says that Jesus finally turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And God is saying that to us tonight. See, the shame of her condition could have stopped her. And she interrupted this regularly scheduled dinner for freedom. She says, I don't care who sees me. I need to be set free. She storms up in this room. You know, I, I, I love the fact about this woman because I think she had a lot of integrity. I mean, think about this woman. I mean, she could have gone in there and just blown up that place. She could have walked up, stormed up in there and be like, don't you shut that door on me. Simon, good to see you again. Oh, Simon's wife, how are you? He hates you, by the way. He tells me all the time. I mean, I mean she could have blown it up, Right? But she didn't go in there to try to convict anybody of their sin. She went in there for her own. Which speaks very loudly to us. She went in there not to try to get everybody else and, hey, everybody else, you're all going to get convicted too. You know, she's, she went in there and said, listen, I'm broken. Fix me. Fix me. 
Can I have the worship team come up here real quick? I believe the power of God is available to you today. And my prayer has been all week leading up to tonight is that however you come in here tonight, that you would not leave here the same. That's my prayer. And I'm going to tell you right now, freedom's not free. We know that. Forgiveness is not free. Jesus had to pay for that. We understand all that. But if you want freedom and you want forgiveness, go get it. Go get it. She went after it. She said, listen, I'm going to lay down all my pride. I'm going to lay down all my shame. I'm going to lay it all down. I'm I'm just going to storm up in this place. And if Jesus is in there, I'm going to get him. I'm going, listen, she could have stayed outside and waited. Could she have not? She could have waited till he finished the dinner. She could have. But she was so desperate for what Jesus had. She said, I don't care. And she storms up in that place and goes after Jesus. We can learn something from that. Listen, we don't, we don't have to come to church. We don't just get to come to church. I hope you want to be here because you want Jesus. I hope every week you are wanting more and more of Jesus. Because one moment with Jesus can change everything. It can change everything. Don't leave here the same. Don't leave here the same. I want us to bow our heads in this place. Dear Heavenly Father, right now I pray for every single person in this room. God, you know what they've walked in here with. You know what's going on in their lives. You know where they need you. God, we've learned today that those who love you the most are those who are most aware of their sin, of our own shortcomings, our own failures. But your lavished forgiveness on our lives because of what you've done on the cross. God, we also know that those who love you the most are those who recognize that they need you the most. And God, I know that there's many people in here where you haven't been their most. Maybe they've looked to pills. Maybe they've looked to an addiction. Maybe they've looked to a relationship. They've looked everywhere else to find that fulfillment. But it's always ended up falling short. And tonight you are calling them to come to you, to pursue you, to fall at your feet. God, we realize that we are only as strong as we are honest. God, we're not here to do Halloween church, to put on the mask and act like everything's okay when it's really not. God, we need you. We need you.